0: Welcome in to a special episode of Home Field Advantage. I hope you're having a great week or weekend wherever and however you may be listening to this podcast across our great country or our great land. My name is Will Highland coming to you on Monday night, Memorial Day 2022. hope you're able to enjoy your weekend and remember that freedom is not free. But I'm going to get right into it here. I saw Top Gun Maverick over the weekend. It was phenomenal. It was probably the best movie I've seen since the COVID pandemic began. Um, the first feature-length film I've seen, um, you know, that I was really anticipating prior to COVID um and that has been postponed the most due to COVID so it was a long time coming and it was amazing so the next like 10 to 15 minutes or so is going to be a quick movie review for those of you who haven't seen it I would not suggest listening to the next uh, few minutes of the program and just add this to your up next go see the movie then come back and listen to it because there are as the kids say spoilers I'll start out quickly with a plot obviously if you've Seen the first movie, you know all the big characters. So the first movie came out 36 years ago. Stars Tom Cruise as Pete Maverick Mitchell, a test pilot and naval aviator who uh, basically was part of the Top Gun program of elite uh, fighter pilots. He loses his best friend and wingman Nick Goose um, Bradshaw during a uh, flight accident in the first film and that really serves as a huge theme in the second film as well. So basically this second movie starts out with uh, basically like all Tom Cruise movies sort of a standalone action f- sequence to start off the film. He is in or Cruise also known as Maverick. I'll, I'll refer to him as Maverick for the rest of the for the rest of the review. He is basically testing a high-speed jet uh, through the air, and he's pushing his limits and pissing off his superiors. So very similar to a lot of the roles we see Tom Cruise in, very similar to what we saw in the first film in 1986. He is here doing the same thing to open up the second film. It really does set the stage. You've got the Kenny Loggins Danger Zone um, theme to open up. You've got the Beautiful cinematography of the sun rising in an aircraft carrier. And just all that lovely stuff that you get. Um, so the first scene after the intro is basically, as I said, the uh, the test sequence. Uh, he is then reprimanded for that test sequence where, in, in which he disobeyed orders and sentenced um, to... Go teach a group of young pilots rather than be a pilot himself. So Ed Harris, um, you might remember him from National Treasure 2 or uh, Apollo 13. He uh, plays Rear Admiral Chester Kane. Chester Kane comes to Maverick after. Kane says, OK, Maverick, like, I wish I could fire you. But Iceman, who you might remember from the first film, is. Uh, Put in a good word on Maverick's behalf and gotten him the job teaching uh, test pilots on um, on North Island. So after that opening sequence, Maverick heads over to North Island. He gets uh, to run into uh, John Hamm's character, who I believe is known as Bo Simpson in this uh, in this film and. Simpson gives Maverick uh, basically an ultimatum like the only way you're going to fly again is if you teach this program. Um, in this program, we are prepping the participants and the candidates for a top secret covert mission in, in the Middle East where they needed to take out um, basically nuclear arms preparation Materials. So I believe it was a uranium development plant uh, where they've been enriching uranium and it is uh, Top Gun class's job to go there and take out the uranium and stop this rogue uh, group from helping Iran uh, obtain a nuclear weapon. That is my understanding. I could be completely off, but that's um, what I believe is going on here. So he basically goes through the training mechanism, he does all the Tom Cruise stuff. He runs into his old girlfriend, who is played by Jennifer Connelly, who was not in the first film that I know of. Uh, Her name is Penny Benjamin. They rekindle their relationship. We've got a scene where he runs into uh, Miles Teller's character, who is... Rooster Bradshaw, uh, the son of Goose, who died in the first film, that becomes a huge part of the movie as well. As um, they meet each other, now Rooster ends up being a candidate for this mission, um, and so for that reason, there's a lot of tension early on in the film. But as I said, we get the normal Top Gun, Tom Cruise sort of scenes here. There's a lot of flight sequences, a lot of uh, a lot of scenes where there are. Where there are, let's—I want to say—allusions to the first film, which I kind of like. Um, there's he. There's situations where Maverick's getting chewed out by his bosses. So all this stuff that you would think would happen in a Top Gun movie happens here, but it happens so in a very modern and realistic and fun, but also like newer way. Like it doesn't feel like just a Replication of the first room. It does feel new, and that's great. So basically, after all of this, um, he pays a visit to uh, Iceman. Uh, Maverick does, and this is where the plot really starts to thicken. Cruz's character, Maverick, starts to vent to Iceman about. Uh, how hard it is to teach the mission there's a lot of particulars and flight maneuvers that a lot of the candidates don't believe they can do there's a lot of talented supporting characters and candidates in this in this film who who really have a good arc of beginning to believe in themselves but before this though he he's talking to he's talking to Iceman he's really just saying I don't know if I can do this um they don't He doesn't really believe that anyone's ready. He singles out Rooster in particular. He's afraid that Rooster will get himself killed. Uh, He feels a lot of guilt, not only because of what happened to Goose, but also because Rooster was trying to get into the Naval Academy and it was actually Maverick who made it so that didn't happen because he was worried about the safety of Rooster in the future. But he knows that Iceman... Understands all these things, and he is really just venting to Iceman about how hard it is um, to to work on this mission and to create uh, create these bonds with everybody. Um, that is a really turning point in the film because there is a there there is a distinct difference between what the way that Maverick handles himself in front of everybody and the way that he handles himself in one-on-one situations. So he looks up to Iceman, and Iceman is going through a terminal illness um, at at this time, and it's so painful that he can't even speak. And so basically Iceman is typing words to him. But before he leaves, Iceman basically talks... For the first time in the entire conversation, out loud, and tells uh, tells Maverick that they need him and that Rooster needs him. So, he gets his shit together. He goes back, um, even though uh, he's been he's been really down in the dumps about the whole mission. Maverick heads back, only to find out a few years later or a few days later, excuse me, that Iceman dies because of that. Simpson takes. Um, Takes Maverick off the mission because he no longer really needs uh, to please Iceman, and Iceman isn't alive to have the influence on the situation. Uh, He he's the one in uh, in the first place that got uh, Maverick the job, and so Simpson relieves Maverick of his duty, and Maverick you know sort of down in the dumps about it, but again, but he he understands and he follows the order for a few minutes only until there's a a scene where he comes through and performs the mission for everyone to see after taking a plane that didn't belong to him. And so then all the candidates and Simpson see that he actually can do it and that the mission, which everyone was so worried about, is actually able to be completed. Simpson then, because of this, appoints Maverick to be the, uh, to be the leader of the mission, and it, it becomes, it becomes his, his responsibility to choose who he wants to be on his team. He chooses Phoenix and Bob. He also chooses uh, Rooster as his own wingman. Uh, Phoenix and Bob were some other candidates uh, who were great supporting characters, Rooster will fly with Maverick and then Hangman who is sort of the cocky guy of the group very similar to the way Iceman carried himself back in the first few films or excuse me the first film he stays behind and those four go and complete the uh, go and try and complete the mission when they get there they run into trouble uh, there's some Uh, enemy aircraft which are in you know in the premises they know that something's up even though they send the missiles in ahead of time Uh, there's a couple fight fight sequences and it it sort of cast out on uh, if they're going to be able to uh, do it there's a few moments with uh, Maverick needing to coach Rooster a little bit longer Um, and ultimately they find their way out only for uh Maverick aircraft to actually get hit he he uh ejects lands safely uh with a parachute and Rooster defies orders from Simpson back at command at the carrier goes back to get Maverick cuz he feels guilty uh about him still being missing and leaving without him even though the orders were to leave Maverick for dead uh Maverick, of course, is then getting shot at once he lands on the ground. Uh, Teller's character, Rooster, comes in, saves, uh, saves Maverick from, uh, from being shot at by taking out the aircraft, shooting at him. Um, they, both, they both land uh, safely in the, in the forest and then go and hijack an F-14 to try and get back to the aircraft carrier. They make their way out until they are then uh, discovered by two other enemy aircraft, um, which proceed to get into a dogfight with the two of them. It looks really bleak at times. They're, very out- they're both outnumbered and outgunned because they have a uh, very inferior aircraft. Um, but ultimately, they escape in the climax of the movie because Hangman, who was left out of the mission... Uh, leaves the carrier and comes to uh, make the kill of the enemy aircraft and basically save Rooster and Maverick. They return to the carrier as heroes and everyone is happy. So that is a quick 10-minute summary of the movie. If you watched it, which I hope you did, otherwise, please don't listen to what I just said. You know that already. So for me, my take on the plot is it was exactly what it needed to be without trying too hard to be a modern action film like it wasn't like i saw midway a few years ago and midway was awesome it was obviously based on historical events and midway also did a good job of recreating a an aircraft fight scene a fighter pilot scene without trying to make it too modern some you know sometimes you see these action movies where these aircraft are fighting each other and it looks like it's ridiculously, um, you know, too modern and not believable. Like this was modern enough to be exciting, but not too far-fetched in a way. So that's what I really liked about the fight, the fighting sequences toward the end of the film. Um, what I liked about the plot line in general is it it, it brought back... Themes from the first few movies without necessarily regurgitating the same sort of, uh, comedic elements, uh, that made the first film, uh, that made the first film iconic. I think this movie was slightly more serious than the first Top Gun, and also this movie had better supporting characters, I think uh, Phoenix and Bob, who I mentioned, were good. Obviously, Hangman was really the hero of the film. Um, we did get to see a uh, few, a few glimpses of Anthony Edwards's character Goose, um, although be it in a uh, reappearance of of old footage. Um, there was also a little bit of. Uh, a little bit of an ode to the first film with Iceman. Um, and you you got a little bit of some old timers with Ed Harris playing Chester Kane. He was a, he's definitely been around a while, right? Like, so that was a good, um, that was a good, uh, a good element in the film. But ultimately, like, it wasn't trying to be the first Top Gun. It wasn't trying um, to be a modern day action movie. It really just hit the middle of both. In a way that was very uh, enticing to a viewer like myself who had been waiting years for this. Uh, similarly, I thought the cinematography and score was among some of the best movies I've seen since, uh, since the COVID pandemic. Namely, the action shots, uh, the way that they put you in the cockpit in um, a lot of them was phenomenal. And then on the musical side, they brought back that classic Top Gun theme, which has been in my head for three days, but they also brought back uh, the Kenny Loggins Danger Zone intro. So, like, both of that was, both of, excuse me, both of those elements were, uh, I, I would say, mandatory for a sequel to Top Gun. However, they also had that really great scene with the One Republic song in the background and everyone playing football on the beach. Um, The scene that really helped rekindle uh, Maverick's romance with, uh, with Penny Benjamin. So that was nice. And speaking of that, though, it didn't actually feel like that romance story was forced. It felt classic Tom Cruise, sort of the same kind of romances that he had in... Uh, the Mission Impossible movies, it felt a lot like the romance he had in the first film. It also felt like some of the elements uh, of romance that we saw, even in, even in Jerry Maguire, right? which I would argue is his most well-known romantic film. Um, so I liked all of that. It wasn't too forced there. As I said, the supporting characters were phenomenal uh, in the way that they were written in. It wasn't. I wouldn't say it. It was an ensemble cast, but it also wasn't very top heavy. Uh, Monica Barbaro did a great job playing Phoenix. I really liked um, Greg Davis as Coyote. He was another one of the. Um, he was another one of the uh, candidate uh, pilots. Uh, Danny Ramirez was fanboy. You had uh, Jay Ellis as Payback. Uh, Manny Jacinto as Fritz. Jack Schumacher as Omaha, Jake Picking as Harvard, Raymond Lee as Yale. So there's a lot of candidate pilots who rounded out the bottom of the cast. Obviously, Val Kymer came back as Iceman, um, Ed Harris as Chester Kane, uh, Glenn Powell as Hangman, who to me is actually the hero of the movie in many ways. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, you know, John Hamm and the Big Guns uh, coming back. And then Miles Teller, uh, who I think would, if this had come out earlier, excuse me, later in the year and earlier in the Oscars cycle, I could see Miles Teller being nominated for best Supporting Actor. But he was really the X factor in the film because he was the bridge between the old the old storyline and the new storyline obviously goose's death in the first movie was a huge part of uh of Maverick's uh motivation for uh getting things right and not leaving anybody behind and for Teller to come in and play that role in a way that was uh both youthful but also an ode to the his father's character or you know the character that his father was is very, um, very crucial to how to how the plot line was developed from the beginning. I don't think if um, I don't think if that element was part of the plot, if Goose's son was not involved in the candidacy, then I don't know how they would have been able to make a Top Gun sequel um, without some sort of tie back to Goose. So because of that, it was fantastic. And then Tom Cruise was equally as impressive. Um, I wouldn't say he was the star of the show acting wise. I think his character was completely, um, you know, completely charismatic in all the ways that he usually is, um, but in this case, I don't think it was Cruz's acting. I, th- I think it was really more of the nostalgia that you had for Maverick uh, from the first film that made you gravitate toward Cruz's reprisal of that role. Um, so, by and large, all of the cast members did a fantastic job. Um, I think there was not really a dud in the cast at all. Even Jennifer Connolly playing the love interest. Um, I know people will say that she was uh, no Kelly McGillis, um, but I think I think uh, it, it, it did what it, it did, what it needed to do um, in that in that little in that little way. And I will say again, I am very happy they did not force that um, romantic subplot. Uh, I think the funniest part of it was when he was trying to leave without being seen by her daughter. And then uh, she saw him through the window and she basically gave him a death stare and told him uh, not to break uh, her mom's heart. I think that was sort of one of the more comedic elements of that uh, love story. And then really that the way that he said goodbye to her in that diner or in that uh, pub was really crucial for the last you know 30 to 45 minutes of the film because there was actually a part of me that wasn't sure they were going to hold on to uh, Maverick. I was a little worried that they were going to kill him off for, for some reason. Uh, maybe it's because I saw uh, James Bond No Time to Die last year and he was killed off as the main character. So I was a little nervous about that. Um, I have to admit, but ultimately uh, the hero story, the patriotism, the fight scenes, the score, the cinematography easily made the film the best one I've seen in the COVID era. I'd love to hear what you all think about that. Please drop us a line. I'm going to put this over on Instagram uh, with a link in bio. So uh, please drop a line to us over there. You can find us on Instagram at Pod and on Twitter, at HomeFieldPod. We'll be back this week with a normal episode where we're back to talking sports, but I hope you appreciate uh, this movie review. I'm going to send us all out with a very familiar song, but you've been listening to a special edition of Homefield Advantage for May 30th, 2022.